Greetings, this is Gemini Brett and Maurice Fernandez broadcasting live from Seattle, Washington with Scorpio Jupiter on the rise. A sign we share. Ahead of, of the solstice, the dramatic alignment with Venus, opposing Mars retrograde on the nodes. And Jupiter's rising now. There's a lot going down. <laughs> Jupiter in the 12th house, the water sign. And Maurice and I share several signatures, but one is the Scorpio sun and another Gemini moon. And the sun right now is shining from the degree in between our moons. And we've got Scorpio on the rise, so this feels like a wonderful time to be here now and speak to some of our friends and i'm gonna surprise you maurice with a few slides so buttons one of these and one of these we get to see a couple humpbacks all right in front of the snow doing the pisces thing so i hope everyone out there is doing really well maurice and i got to speak at his place, at your new place in Sedona, a year ago, a little less, and we were talking about Leo and the eclipses and um, Aquarius and Scorpio. It's a fun conversation. <laughs> and we attempted to broadcast live on the Cosmic Intelligence Agency page, and tech did not agree. But I'll post a link to that, and you can find it on my, um, on my podcast page at SoundCloud. Just search Gemini Brett. All right, so first things first, pick a planet, my friend. We're going to drink a little snow honey chrysanthemum tea. That's uh, the ascendant and descendant axis, which of course is also the 12th house, one of our primary themes to address today. Pallas Athena for me. The Venus with a straight edge. And then we'll pick one for spirit who's being represented today by Pisces Smurf. You want to choose? One more cup. Earth. <laughs> Earth, Pallas Athena, and, and the horizon. Ascendant. The Horizon, much more important. Because the Horizon, the Ascendant, I mean, it's not just the first house. Yeah, absolutely. The descendant is not just the seventh house. And the equinoxes are not just Aries and Libra. And the solstices are not just Cancer and Capricorn, right? So We were just talking today about the fact that the spiral of evolution moves through the side both clockwise and counterclockwise. Mm -hmm. So there's a motion from the ascendant to Pisces to Aquarius, the same way there's from Aries to Taurus and Gemini. And these cycles occur simultaneously. You know, that's part of the beauty of, and the complication. Many things are intercrossing, many things are intertwining and we need to break these codes and understand what it's all about 
How does it all work together? The beauty and the complication. It's a wonderful way to begin. So I wanted to show these humpbacks. Um, this is Maurice's new book, Neptune, the Twelfth House, and Pisces. And, and Pisces. Yeah, it's not a book about Neptune in the Twelfth House. It's about Neptune in each house and sign, different planets in the Twelfth House, all of them, all signs and planets in the Twelfth, and then planets in Pisces. So we... The reason why I, I wrote about all of the three is that they represent an archetypal theme as a triad and capture, you know, the same fundamental essence. And it's been a very extensive research. You know, this started in the year 2000 when Jupiter just entered my 12th house in Gemini, opposing Neptune in Sag, you know, that's when the concept was kind of uh, birthed about this book. And when was the first edition released? The first edition was released in 2004, four years later. And that was a time when I just moved to the States. Uh, so I didn't have a lot of experience and it was a little rushed. So, but I was happy at the time with the book, but then through the years, so much more material came through. New insights and, you know, the same theme, basically the same concept expanded. So this edition is, um, it's about double the size wow. of the first one. Did you cut anything out of the first one? Yes. There was a whole chapter on the Ascendant and the 12th house. Talk about that. Ah. That I want to write a separate book about. So, and about the angles. So I felt like, you know, there's enough to read. It's, it's quite extensive as it is. It's 500 pages. Um, you know, let's give our reader <laughs> some a break. <laughs> well, I've read four paragraphs of the book so far. <laughs> I got my copy today. Uh, Maurice is here in Seattle to, who spoke last night at Washington State Astrological Association. And we'll tomorrow have a workshop. So if you're in the Pacific Northwest, come up for the workshop. The talk last night was amazing. There's a lot of astronomy at the beginning, which of course made me very excited. And, you know, the, the subtitle of the text is The Timelessness of Truth. And the talk last night, which wasn't about Neptune, it was about Mars. Maybe we'll get into Mars a bit today too. Um, but it had a timeless quality. I was really amazed by how much information in a very like beautiful flow you were able to get in where we spoke about um, the astronomy and the periodicity and the rarity of how close Earth and Mars will be this summer and then got into the mundane and then the practical and I mean there was a few points throughout the course of the night where I was very engaged and excited and didn't want it to end but it was like 
well, this must have been like five hours now because mm. so much information was coming through. I feel Neptune can do that sometime. So anyway, I read, um, I turned to, I have Neptune Sagittarius born in 1975 and then Neptune's right on my descendant, with the cup that you drew. Um, and so I turned to Neptune in the seventh house, Neptune in Libra, Neptune in the seventh house. In Sag. Oh, sorry, in Neptune in Sag. But I turned to the Neptune yeah. in Libra portion, which also describes Neptune in the seventh house. And it was amazing because you and I had just that, had that discussion that I don't want to like bring back in, but about other people and judgments. And the first thing I read is the evolutionary path of finding the middle way mm -hmm. um, and how we can't create without two. And, mm -hmm. I was sitting outside and I just set it down. I was like, oh, that's deep. <laughs> and you know, this is, my, my house is covered in books. And the good ones, the good ones want you not to page turn, but rather read a paragraph and sit and meditate. And um, yeah, what I received in that paragraph was strong enough to send me straight to sleep. And I, was, <laughs> I, went, I went and took a nap, which is a wonderful place to engage with Neptune. And we have a Cancer moon right now and, um, and tune in and actually had a dream of a, of a whale, which was pretty fun. So I, I think these good books too, like it's, it's not, a, it's not only the ego that has me want to turn to Neptune in the seventh house because that's my personal signature or Neptune in Sagittarius. Um, it's something about connecting to the planetary essence, which we know. But the good books, you want to read it all. I mean, not just because I'm an astrologer, I'm going to be sitting with people with several different configurations, but yeah. because you're speaking about the evolutionary essence of these different houses of Neptune. And I, I really look forward to reading the text. Yeah, and it is, it is a deep book. It's, it may require uh, a few read because I, I, I converse with a few people that went through it and read it, and it seems like you get a first impression. But you find out many more things as you go through a second read. You know, it, it can sometimes confront some of your, you know, especially people like us who are spiritually involved and researching. It, some of these ideas can be controversial. So... Do you want to give an example? Um, yeah. You know, when we speak about spirituality and especially Neptune, we speak quite often, you will read and you'll, you know, you, you'll think about surrendering the ego and about transcendence. And of course, it's, that's Neptune, mm. but that's also the, the trap for Neptune because Neptune on the one hand wants to rise above the ego but it also suffers from not knowing what to do with the ego. Mm. So there's a whole, you know, the whole existential struggle of being on this planet is captured in the 12th house. And that's where we have the ascendant between 
the cosmic womb of the 12th house and the birth of individuality in the first house. And there's that barrier that we need to cross. And quite often people who have a strong 12th house or a strong Neptune have a trauma of birth, Hmm. which means they don't want to be here. Hmm. And they're not equipped. They're not ready. And that's actually part of the lesson for Neptunian people or 12th house people would be to get an ego, you know, do it. Mm. So it's the reverse of what, you know, we're taught in many schools of spirituality to get rid of the ego. Mm. Here it's actually sabotaging yourself. You need to descend in order to, you know, bring all the pieces of yourself together. So that's one example. Yeah, there was a bit, well, in that bit I read, I guess I read more than a paragraph. <laughs> um, but where you were speaking about Neptune's seventh house and the evolution of relationship and how the hedonist kind of needs to reflect upon or find the middle way with the asceticist. Okay. And the opposite would be true that we can't just attain enlightenment by sitting on the mountaintop. Exactly. And especially for a seventh house, Neptune. And we, you know, we tend to think of the seventh house exclusively about relationships. Yeah. And it is, you know, that's a main focus of the seventh house, but it's much deeper than that because it has to do with any polarity and people who have strong Libra and seventh house signature will be controversial people because they always bring the opposite perspective, the Mm. less accepted, the underdog. And, you know, Edward Snowden was one of the examples I chose for that chapter with Neptune in the seventh house on the nodes because he's so controversial and he's bringing those polarity and people see him as a traitor Mm-hmm. as well as a hero. And and that's exactly what that can get to with the seventh house. But one more thing, you know, I will I will recommend, at least for your first read, <laughs> is to actually start from the beginning. Yeah. Because the book is written in many uh, in many through many layers and sections, seven stages of evolution. And if you sometimes just jump to the chapter of your position, you're not going to understand what these stages are about and why do we progress from one to another. Mm. So that's... It's so not Neptunian to jump straight to me. Um, There's this thing that's said about... 12th house or i've heard it said about pisces that pisces is the loneliest sign and i don't personally tend to agree i see that signature i see how that can come alive but the way that it was described to me was that because it's like you're out all alone on a boat at sea but for me that energy is the sea itself it is that water that describes how we're all connected like i mean if we think about how even Neptune was discovered in 1846. Uranus had been discovered in 1781. 
with a telescope, kind of a freaky accident, the discovery of Uranus, Herschel, and Caroline Herschel and William Herschel thought it was a comet, and they tracked it, and a new planet. I mean, you think about the paradigm shift of a new planet being discovered since Saturn was the last for cosmology for ages. But with Neptune, we knew where to point the telescopes because it was noticed that something was pulling on Uranus from the outside. And so even in that teaching, we hear that we're all connected. We all have pull on one another. Really, we're all in the same boat, as Absolutely. they say. That's actually a phrase that I, I do use in the book. Mm. And that's, that's a blessing and a curse. Because now, for example, with Neptune being in Pisces by transit, and there's a whole section about the transit of Neptune in Pisces at the end. Being in the same boat means that if one person fucks up, we're all paying. Mm. The consequences of uh, mistakes are global. And the same thing with the solutions. If, some, if a person comes up with you know, a peace plan or a solution, it will it will affect everyone at once. Hmm. So being on the same boat is, is indeed that feeling now with Neptune in Pisces that the clock is ticking, you know, the environment is, is in crisis and we're, there's nowhere to run. You know, you can't just go to another country uh, because it's global. The, hmm. the crisis is global and the solutions will be global as well. So, this is why many people with a strong 12th house and Pisces are easily overwhelmed because there's a feeling that you absorb everything. Yeah, I think that empathic gift is opening for more and more people now. And that really does feel so often like a curse. Like how many clients do I sit with who can no longer go out even to the grocery store because they're feeling everyone's energies and they haven't navigated yet how to keep their own skin. Exactly. You know, because, and that's part of get, a, get yourself an ego. Yeah. You know, you're, you're fusing with everything and everyone you're losing yourself mm. and it serves a purpose. You know, there's a higher frequency to that, but it can also, drown you mm. so you know we we all our spiritual practices teach us to ascend and to elevate and to transcend and we detach from flesh from matter and we demonize the ego mm. and it leads to a crisis it doesn't work yeah i love that i drew the earth cup <laughs> exactly I just realized I've been drinking spirits tea and I, I switched the cups too. That's a like Pisces thing. I think that's going down, but you know, this earth glyph, I could have just shown this, right? The medicine wheel. Why does the East rise? It's because the earth falls in that direction, right? We're spinning that way. And so our experience creates in a sense, this illusion of the, of the east going up, but as matter, we're actually going down just as we descend and come in through the 
the canal in this, in mm -hmm. this descending way. And we know the water glyphs and the air glyphs point down a chalice, you know. And, now think about the fact that throughout centuries, and that's something you've researched as well, throughout century there's so much abuse of the feminine. Yeah. And it has to do with that because the feminine is the force that brings us into incarnation. And we don't want to incarnate. We want to transcend. And so there's some kind of war against the feminine mm. that's also instigated by the fact that I didn't want to be here. And I don't want to descend. I don't want this birth canal. I want to go back to paradise, go back to God, reascend. And it has to do with the polarities of, of the genders. And of course, there are historical sequences to this. But, you know, the feminine, if we look at the feminine sign archetypically, they are the signs of the flesh. They are the sign of incarnation, of embodiment, of matter, the earth sign. So it's, you know, it's like a resistance to that. We walk today in my favorite place here in Seattle, Lincoln Park, and walked down the beach and took the slippers off and cruised out. It was very low tide, moon and sun together up, culminating and all these barnacles and the rocks I feel cutting me and clams are spraying and we got into the slimy funky stuff and then walked up the hill and Maurice led us through um, a very short kind of Kundalini practice and I'm just not so in my body and so the pain is coming in and it's so easy for me to just sit here and perform mental calisthenics and I don't think like the feelings are off limits to me, but you know, this is an experience so many people have when they come to spirit. Like I sit with a lot of folks who receive their opening through yoga and they went, for example, to exercise and suddenly they had a spiritual experience and now they're studying, you know, the Upanishads and the Vedas. And then, and then they head to yoga teacher training and it's a very common experience for people in that yoga teacher training where they're doing hundreds of hours and consistently to have this emotional release the flood i mean the deluge of something that's probably been hiding and trapped in the body somewhere so i think that's a thing that that i'm just connecting to myself whenever i get into the body and, and stretch so it's like wait i need to do this more maybe some of the reason why i'm not is because it's keeping me from seeing some of the things that i want to be hidden Maybe. And it's also because we take, you know, we, we're, we're conditioned in some ways to, um, to prioritize the higher realms, yeah. especially where we're at in our spiritual development. But yeah, and you know, one thing you will read <clears throat> as you go through the chapters, we're going to, you know, you have a Venus square Neptune. It's pretty tight, right? Yeah, it's five degrees, but Neptune's transiting opposite my Venus, like exact right now. And so. you have Taurus in the 12th house. Yes, in the south node there. 
So the ruler of Taurus is Venus in the 12th and Venus squares Neptune. So that Taurus Pisces signature is very strong for you. And it's that it is flesh and spirit. Mm. It is, you know, the embodiment and transforming your body into a temple, just like this house of yours is very much a Venus Neptune house because Mm. it's a physical manifestation of spirit with all these. Uh, mandalas and and you know the the ritual with the, the cups everything in the physical must capture something spiritual it's not random and it obviously has to do with the relationship with our own body as well mm. because you can live as if your body's a cage or if your body's a temple you know, you can choose which, which will be your experience with that Venus Neptune. And I've done, you know, a great deal of research on that. And I even, you know, we talked about this. I presented a talk at NORWAC last year about spirit and flesh. And that talk, you know, was very controversial. People kind of left in the middle. Um, but it was about seeing, on the one hand, you know, the excessive attachment to flesh and, and the greed, you know, the appetite taking over versus the ascetics who, you know, will shave their heads, will cover their skin, will deny themselves pleasure because that's, you know, that's antagonistic to spirit. So each of the positions of, Neptune and the 12th house takes you through a step in our spiritual journey. But what I really want to try, what I really try to do is not speak, you know, just in those higher realms. That's why it's divided into seven levels because it's also addressing the daily functions. You know, what does that mean on a day to day basis to have this position? And that's, you know, that's what I think makes this book accessible, even though it is multi-layered. <laughs> Flipping through, I was um, interested. I didn't stop at the page, but I was interested to see that one of the chart examples was David Icke. <laughs> and I bring that up because he's one of the main voices of this kind of Earth as a prison planet movement. And I think that is a... Is, I don't say a remnant because it's so alive of this idea that we're only meant to ascend and get out of here and get out of the body. And I think people often treat Neptune like that's the Neptune signature because it's invisible and heavenly and some destination place. But, you know, quite frankly, people who have a strong Neptune and 12th mm-hmm. house feel much better when they are in the ethereal realms. Mm-hmm it's hard to be incarnated and that's why they don't know how to cope with suffering because if you have a typical Aries or Taurus who is incarnating, they have coping mechanisms. You know, it's hard to be here, but I know what to do. Mm. I know how to fight. Pisces comes here. It's like, I forgot my, uh, kit, you know, <laughs> I didn't, I'm not prepared. 
And that's why it becomes such an overwhelming experience. But it's the reason I chose David Hike. It's in the Saturn section. Uh -huh. um, talking about that. And, you know, he's out there. And he spoke about Saturn. And he has Saturn conjunct Neptune in the 12th house. Uh -huh. And he spoke about Saturn being, you know, the control center of evil. Right, right. And so <laughs> I thought it was just too weird and too synchronistic that he has Saturn Neptune conjunct and 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 he's fighting Saturn you know he he doesn't get along with Saturn with the actual planet it's interesting I mean Saturn and Neptune were conjoined at Neptune's discovery in Partile same degree in Aquarius um, so there's a couple threads I want to finish weaving and there's one thing where we're talking about we're all in the same boat and Neptune is the seas. And that includes agape, you know, universal love, love for all. Mm -hmm. We're in a time where in the English language, there's only one word for love. And we're kind of missing what the Greeks taught in these many different ways. And one was that essence of love, the universal love, which is, it speaks in so many ways. I think of Venus's exaltation in Pisces. And here we are on Venus's day today, by the way, for the recording for folks listening later, uh, June 15th, 2018. And Moon is applying to conjoin Venus. Moon's in Cancer right now, and, and Venus is very recently ingressed Leo. And um, it's about 12 hours from right now that Moon will find Venus. And we have a clear night in Seattle, so I look forward to going down to that same beach tonight. We'll see this sliver crescent Moon, Diana's bow, holding this radiant evening star Venus right now. And in the shamanic astrology, um, Venus work is where I got my start in the shamanic astrology mystery school. We see this at the time in her cycle, which began way back in March of 2017, she was in Aries and she found her way between Earth and the Sun, retrograded back into Pisces, remember, and was with Chiron right when she came mm -hmm. direct. And since she's become visible as an evening star, the moon has joined her three times and, and tomorrow morning will be the fourth. And so we see that as kind of the ascent of Anana back from the underworld and reclaiming First, the red robe root chakra and the second chakra and the third. And so tomorrow begins a month of coming back into the heart. On the way down, Venus's morning start cleansing and releasing and death and rebirth and now reconnecting and reconfiguring. And so I, I, I love that she's in Leo and the sign that's so associated with, with heart. heart. Yeah. And in a fiery heart in that way. So we don't need to go into the Leo realm because that was our whole conversation last year, unless you want to. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. Well, just one note about agape and universe, universal truth. Mm. That's part of the subtitle, the timeless truth. That which is true always, everywhere, with everyone. Mm. You know, it's beyond our individuality. And every chapter has a section about addressing the timeless and time and space. Because we live simultaneously in two dimensions, at least. And that's part of our dilemma is how to navigate from one to the other. 
So, you know, going back to that sense of universality and compassion, um, how do we deal when we need to face competition? Mm. When Mars comes in and says, you know, there's a predator that may get me if I don't develop a defense mechanism. So that's why we are so confused and freaked out because we feel universal love at the same time we feel the need to protect ourselves. Yeah. And we're constantly in this juxtaposition of conflicting currents and feelings. I feel open and trusting and then I need to protect myself and withdraw. It drives us nuts. Mm. Yeah, I speak also of Neptune, more Pisces, but yeah. both. Not as just the, the endless seas, but the rain, right? Because <laughs> it connects the waters of heavens and the waters of earth, and there's that endless cycle. And Absolutely. But here in Seattle, you know, one of the Leo trainings in Seattle is months and months and months of the year where you don't get much sun and you have to find your inner light. I feel like that's been my most important training here is finding mm -hmm. my light, filling me with me. Um, and we'll see what happens when I find my way down to California and a little more sunshine. But that idea of the rain and that connection, and it gives us time to ponder and that, but it can be so fucking depressing. I mean, I lived in Hawaii mm. on the wet side of the island. Yeah. I think talking about rain, it was one time six weeks nonstop rain. Mm. It drives you crazy. It does, right? And that, I mean, so that depression too of connection, of empathy, where it's such an amazing realization to connect to the, the truth, I would suggest is many spiritual systems do that we are all one um but then that pain of when you're feeling the world's pain and <laughs> yeah, terror and absolutely. it's hard not to just run and hide under a rock absolutely and you know th th these are interesting times i mean speaking of transits uh that's beautiful moon venus which is a very strong feminine energy in this in leo the heart and opposing mars retrograde in aquarius i'm going to show you a picture look at this is your book um i want so to show just you one this picture <laughs> do you want to say something about the book while this image is up just one note if if people are interested in the book it's not yet available on amazon um, it will. It is available on my website, and interestingly, with this Mars in Aquarius, uh, there's been a a challenge with the website Aquarius, and it's running a little slow. Hmm. So be patient, and you can basically get it um, from there or you can email me directly and I'll send you a copy. So it will be on Amazon in a couple of weeks, two, three weeks, you know, that's, that's the process. 
So um, mauricefernandez.com if you're listening in. All right, so I'm giving away a lot of my slides, but <laughs> I wanted to kind of surprise you with this one. This is the Peace Monument at DC. And it's on Pennsylvania Avenue, coming right out of the Capitol building on the way to the White House. Where very interestingly, Andrew Jackson put the Treasury building and disconnected this sight line from the White House serious rises over the Capitol and from the Capitol, all the bronze sets over the White House. But this peace monument's very interesting. We have, you know, a couple goddesses here kind of crying over war, and then this one holding the laurels, and you see little baby cherubs near the seashell of Mars and his war helmet and sword and Neptune looking so innocent. And I was thinking of that because last night you were here speaking about Mars and, and tomorrow the workshops about Neptune. And so I think this monument's kind of speaking in a sense to Marines and Navy in that kind of trip. But just looking at this goddess holding holding the laurels up there, I don't know, it's something I've, I've sat with. It's and she's the, the ascendant, this, right? Know, she's the ascendant between <laughs> the 12th and the 1st. Mm, yeah, right. We tilted on its side and Mars as Aries in the first house there and Neptune as the 12th. And here's this cup you drew of the horizon line. Um, and that's, you know, it's something that's really interesting because there's so much uh, demonization of the 12th house in the astrological tradition. And... I mean, one thing everyone here probably knows that I study astrology with nature. And so to contemplate the 12th house and the first house, and I would just sit east for four hours at night, you know, and just be there and witness what's going down. And one thing I realized about the 12th house some time ago, it's like, oh, yeah, of course, hidden things because trees and mountains like I can I can never tell you what star is rising, even if I have a pure horizon, unless I'm up on a mountain the water there's waves and i've learned how to find the ascendant actually in the south which is the most visible place for the northern hemisphere but that idea of trees and things that are actually blocking my view and when i've shared that with students they say well why isn't that also true then of the seventh house the you know the descendant because there's trees and mountains and but for me that we can watch the sun moving from the ninth and through the eighth down to the seventh is, is falls and, and we can or venus or mars and we can project where they're going to go and we have all these projections in relationship with seventh house theme when we're looking at the 12th the sun rises i mean it's so glorious every time and it's shocking it's like where did it come from there's so much mystery there and you know, in the old myths and traditions of sun rising out of the underworld and being lifted up. And Maurice and I were speaking about this theme a bit earlier and talking about when the moon rises and it, it looks giant, right? Like I've driven, when I was a touring musician, I never forget this night, I had to stop the bus. I was driving in the middle of the night and I was driving into the moon somewhere in the Midwest, like Nebraska. And it took up the entire like four lane highway. I was driving right into the moon. <laughs> and I mean, I was just astonished, you know? And it's this illusion 
because we have streets or trees or something to compare the moon against and it looks so huge where up in the sky obviously it's small and there's a trick where you if you put your thumb at your arm's length you'll see that it covers the moon whether it's huge on the horizon or up here but the really powerful question that you asked me that i hadn't considered before is well which one is the illusion mm -hmm. i mean the moon is almost a quarter size of the earth mm -hmm. and so it should look huge like that mm -hmm. and and the moon and the feminine and the dream mm -hmm. it is huge right but that is it's the 12th house and it brings those challenges another thing that just came in is like i grew up in the desert and you get that that mirage thing or mm -hmm. it looks like water because of the heat yeah, yeah. yeah so how do you address this idea that the 12th is hidden things and mental hospitals well and prisons. you know ask madonna who has five planets in the 12th house if she wants to hide yeah <laughs> um it's not clear cut is that leo's the it's leo, leo rising and her son virgo rising okay and she has um, mercury pluto in virgo and sun i think uranus venus in leo i will ask her i'll call her as soon as we're done I mean, I can only imagine when, if, you know, if Madonna was having a reading when she was a teenager and she would say, you know, what am I supposed to do when I grow up? Mm. And someone would tell her, God, you're doomed because you have all these planets in the 12th house mm. and it's undoing and it's, um, you know, you want to be behind the scenes. She's, you know, she's not going to believe in astrology after that reading. So... There, there is an aspect of hiding in the 12th house. And from the Neptune cycle, the reason is it's because it's the place where we are the most exposed. But it's also a place where we are completely bare. So exposed and bare makes you, on the one hand, walking the, you know, the, the ground of Eden in full trust hmm. and spiritual um, connection. So it's a place where you're actually innocent. But because of that, it's just like this concept of oneness. You suddenly realize when you are here incarnated that you don't know how to deal with that. And you become overexposed you know you don't ju just being out in the element naked you're going to get a sunburn or wet whatever now think of madonna think of all these strong 12th house people neptunian people piscean people who are actually very public exposed and how they swing from wanting to hide from the public and the paparazzis mm. and, and, you know, all the fan wanting a piece of them versus needing to, you know, be the leaders and the entertainers. And, and you'll see, you know, the 12th house has to do with actually public function, with exposure, with fame. And it is the the dichotomy of fame where you can 
touch the collective consciousness and you can inspire people across boundaries, whether you know them or not through this, you know, this is kind of a Piscean medium that transcends time and space. You know, we don't know who's watching. It's collective. It unifies all the viewers. Right. And we don't even have to personalize it. So this meaning the internet and our ability yeah. to zoom broadcast. Yeah. I mean, yeah. speak about and films, when Neptune. when did that happen during Uranus. the Uranus Neptune conjunction? Right. So think of being completely exposed and then shutting down and needing to hide. And you hear, you know, Michael Jackson with the Pisces rising moon and Neptune on his north node. You know, he's such a Piscean Neptunian person, living in mm. Wonderland or Neverland mm. and, and being so innocent, Peter Panish, mm. and being, you know, this larger-than-life myth, but then being overexposed, even his skin getting damaged and, and mm. sick. You know, you can debate what created that, but it's that sense that his skin could even, couldn't even protect him mm -hmm. like the pigmentation problem mm -hmm. and you know he sang this song leave me alone mm -hmm. or dangerous you know that's the name of his album yeah and i'm bad and i'm bad and he's like but everybody <laughs> believes it but you know what i heard from him i was eating the other night and i'm looking at the man in the mirror which is such a beautiful song and it is that realization, I think, where we have to balance the oneness and we are all one of doing our own work and coming into me. And so much of that happens at the ascendant, right? I mean, the, that is relationship too. It's just relationship between us and something higher. But it's, I mean, it's just so fascinating to me that the 12th house has spoken about that which is hidden because it's where the sun rises mm -hmm. or venus right anyone mm -hmm. and then the first is spoken about this kind of place where we're consciously aware but it's the one that's underground yeah right? i mean the ancient way is actually one of the place of the most powerful suppressions was at the ic the bottom of the heavens the bottom of the chart the place where the sun is at midnight and we don't need to go there now but what, what is, is it, an, is it an illusion that we're treating the 12th as the place of prison? And no, it's words? not. I think it, it's part of it. But we need to understand why. Mm. Why is it about being hidden? So when you understand that the, the need to hide comes from overexposure, it puts a completely different spin on that. Because what comes before is the exposure. Mm -hmm. It's not the hiding. And the reason is that people with a strong Piscean and 12th house quality come into this world bare, trusting, and then they are shocked by the fact that, you know, there's separation and that there's violence and that they're not equipped to deal with it and they shut down. So commonly, you know, someone with a Pisces moon will be extremely compassionate because they, they feel everyone's pain, right? And they will protect everyone. And so they're so inviting 
And then they become overwhelmed and they want to save everyone. They can't. Right. And then they isolate or their house becomes, you know, a rescue center of pets that mm. is taken over and, and they can't manage it anymore. <laughs> I mean, it's just an extreme example. But there's that feeling that, first of all, I'm, I'm completely open and I want to be with everyone and I trust. And then I realize, God, this place is a construction site. And that's one thing that one of the big lessons of, of the book is this world is not finished. Mm-hmm. It's, it is a construction site and we're still working on it. Mm-hmm. But from a 12th house point of view, we think it's ready. And when we see that it's not done, that there's, what's the polarity? Virgo, sixth house, work. Right. You have, you know, take your tools and start contributing to the endeavor of creation. And why would you ever work if you think it's done? Exactly. And that's why Pisces has to do with vacations Mm. when Virgo has to do with employment. Mm -hmm. Where do you go when you're on vacation? You go to a paradise resort Mm. where you escape time. That's a 12th house experience. So why is our prisons related to the 12th house or these big institutions? Because the 12th house is a place where we're not in control. And everything is larger than us. Even our popularity, if we spoke of fame, is larger than us. Mm. I mean, if Gandhi had a 12th house son and he became an icon, whether he planned it or not, and he inspires people beyond time and space, like he's immortal, and that's the 12th house son. Mm-hmm. But... It is also the feeling that someone could overpower you. Hmm. The system could overpower you. If Saturn's in your 12th house, you can be overpowered by the system, the law, the authorities. And that's why there is a persecution complex with Saturn in the 12th. And so it can get to the point where you are uh, confined. But again, what I find it important is we need to understand where it's coming from. Mm -hmm. You know, we make all these blanket statements and we don't know what's the root. Like how did we actually get to that statement? Right. That to me is the most important thing in astrology. And it's so much of it for me, unlike you, you found astrology at a young age. Yeah. What is it? Nodal return, yeah. your first one, yeah. so 18 and a half, 19. And for me, the second one, 37. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So <laughs> you're six years my senior on earth and much more than that <laughs> in astrology in the heavens. Um, but it's really important because I think a lot of people want to find the formulas, apply the equations and feel like that's, that'll do. And to me, if you don't know the proof of the equation you're using, then it's just mechanical. There's no heart. There's no intimacy. There's no understanding of it. And 
it's fragmented. Yeah. Instead of having a process, a cycle, you have bits and pieces. Oh, you know, behind the scenes and prisons and spirituality. Like, how do all these pieces actually connect to one theme? Right. And how does that connect to the 11th house and to the first and to the sixth? Like, there's a dialogue between all these places. There's a, there's a thread that connects 11th being the revolutionary and 12th of spirit and first, you know, identity in some ways. But Gandhi said, be the change you want to see in the world, right? And because I think sometimes in the 12th house, which some have associated guru since it's the last on the wheel of life and the traditional association with Jupiter, maybe who carries that name in the Vedic tradition, the Yoda's tradition. Um, and belief, and maybe more importantly, faith, something mm -hmm. that we can't see but is also real. Um, but I think the bodhisattva, and somebody who's found enlightenment but comes back around again and again and chooses to stay in the prison planet mm -hmm. until everyone has found their ascension path. Mm -hmm. And it just seems this really weird trip of martyrdom programming. I remember talking to a friend who's a Buddhist and he was talking about his practice of meditating upon samsara and releasing the world from illusion and how the work is to sit and pray for the world. And my response to it is, well, what about you? What about reflecting on how that's in you? So this is, I'm looking at the man in the mirror. And I think it really comes alive in this essence of, of the ascendant and the heavens rising because the earth falls. You were speaking the other day about, last night at your talk about Mars, of that Martian impulse of birth, mm -hmm. of, of being born, coming from the 12th, mm -hmm. you know, which I, like you, have described as the cosmic womb mm -hmm. or the waters of the womb in this safe place where you've been eating through a stomach snorkel and comfortable in the darkness where the dream can exist. And, you and know, you're passive. Yeah. You know, you're receiving in the 12th house. That's why there's a positive side to the 12th house of not being in control. You know, we tend to think of not being in control as a dangerous thing because you could be in danger. But Pisces people don't want to be in control because they trust universal providence. Mm. And there's that sense that, you know, I didn't make the sky blue and I didn't make the earth fertile and I'm just receiving this gift. So it's our memory of paradise where everything, you know, was taken care of and was perfectly aligned. And that's what we want to yearn to get again. But is there a way back to the womb? Or is the way forward? Mm. That's another big question. Because every spiritual system will tell you, oh, you know, we're here to experience, but then eventually we're returning to the source. And that's with that, you know, there is some kind of attachment or hope of deliverance of heaven of heaven and paradise because mm. we remember it somewhere. Mm. 
you know, there's a place inside of us that knows what universal love is, knows what peace is. And we didn't learn it from Trump and Kim, you know, we, or from our teachers necessarily. It's very deep into our own womb experience. And I think that is some of the ascension feeling is that there is this return ticket. There is this indistinguishable yeah. light, you know? Agreed. But that's exactly part of the reason why we perpetuate suffering. Right. Because the more you want to get away from here, the more you sabotage yourself. And I think in a lot of the trainings and yeah, I'll go here. I mean, the idea that selfless sacrifice is the only way to the heavens, which seems to be the strange kind of Piscean age. It's, it's Jesus on the cross. You know? But I mean, Chiron, who gave himself for the re release of Prometheus, you know, but he, he saved himself put in the heavens. But he saved himself, Chiron. He had a self-preservation. Well, he didn't know he was going to save himself, though. That's the whole thing. He, he thought that there's no reason the two of them should suffer for eternity. One of the conditions for Prometheus's release from this endless torture was that an immortal must choose to take his place. And Chiron, now in a state of eternal suffering, said, why should there yeah. be two of us? I will. And honored for that gift of compassion and that yeah. gift of empathy. So the compassion and martyrdom are very interesting. Absolutely. And it's definitely a 12th house thing. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting that astrology gives us the answers because we do have a 12th house that speaks of oneness. And so, yeah, I can give my life for you because you are me. And saving you is saving myself. Yeah. And so that's a completely 12th house experience. But then you also have a first house. But saving yourself would be saving me if the other were true. Exactly. Because you have a time and space factor that interjects here. You are in a position of vulnerability now. And so I project that on you. But then you have the first house and the fifth house that says, yes, but if you don't, if there's no self-preservation instinct, you're not helping creation. You know, one thing you're going to tell a parent that, for example, are in a miserable marriage and they stay together because of the kids, you're going to tell them your unhappiness will, you know, will transpire and, and condition your kids. So your kids are not going to be happier because you didn't break the unit. They're going to mimic the martyrdom. Hmm. And therefore, your happiness as a parent will, you know, will, will inspire your children to be happy. So as a service to them, take good care of yourself. Mm -hmm. Obviously, not to the point of, you know, I don't care about you. I'm only going to take care of myself, which is the other polarity of, you know, too much separation and not remembering why you're doing what you're doing. But I agree that, you know, this whole book touches on the martyrdom factor. Mm. 
And, and in a way, the reason is that Pisces doesn't know how to deal with suffering in the first place. Hmm. You know, it's, it doesn't have the, the tools, the equipment that a Scorpio, you know, the interest, you know, Scorpio deals with pain, faces it, cries, but then, you know, rebuilds and repairs and ascends as a phoenix. So there's, there's a lot of uh, focus and strength in that transformative process. But Pisces doesn't know change. Hmm. It's like because transformation. Everything is. Everything is hmm. There's nothing to change. It's perfect. Right. Yeah, yeah. Everything's as it's meant to be. I mean, hmm. Pisces don't like to psychoanalyze, hmm. you know, at, at its hmm. core. Obviously, I'm generalizing. Yeah. They look for the simple truth and the universal truth. That's when something is timeless, it's not changeable. And they know that. So when you want to make a change, they don't fully understand what you mean. Anyway. Yeah, there's, I just saw a friend, I went out to the coffee, Maurice was here working on writing for, career astrologer you're working on yeah, yeah and i saw a friend and he's assisting promotion actually a lot of the themes that we've been talking about mm. um for a person's spiritual book and um and i said well what the what's the book about and this guy had the somatic experience you know he went out of body and he saw the oneness and now he's a messenger and i said how's that you know good luck with that <laughs> because it seems so impossible to communicate that dream of oneness. We have this language for it and we have this desire for it. And we've touched some of what we've touched that space in meditation or ceremony. We sure. realize that that is what's real, but there's something about perhaps the illusion or the necessity to not live in that space for us to do work in this world to reclaim it or or let that thing that doesn't think it needs to evolve to to evolve that perhaps that's part of what this is about as you're speaking earlier and i'm thinking about the impetus of the survival instinct as the state of coming to spirituality you know think about leo you you're going to read about leo Oh, they're self-centered mm. and they want the attention. And then you're going to speak about Leo. Oh, it's the heart and it's the generosity. How do you reconcile these? Mm -hmm. Because Leo is definitely about taking the stage. But from a Pisces point of view, and you see that as an inconjunct, yes. a quincunx, mm -hmm. Leo says, I'm here. And I have a job to do. Versus Pisces says, I want to be here. Hmm. And you have that push-pull, that inconjunct that, you know, gives you, what is the reason for me to be here? And people who have that Sun 12th house or Sun-Neptune interplay will experience that. But the real deeper meaning of Leo is that taking the stage and being visible is actually a service. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not about getting praise. 
it's about showing up. And you spoke of the sun rising in the morning. Yeah. That's exactly it. The sun shows up. And it's never abandoning us. So if Leo wouldn't do their quote-unquote self-centered performance, hmm. no one would be on stage. We would have a vacant leadership, a vacuum. Hmm. So part of the work of being here is actually part of the Piscean service as well. And from a different point of <laughs> Leo Smurf. Um, yeah, you know, the, I feel that the, in these many levels, right, there's, there is that lower, I need the stage, I need the spotlight that's described as Leo, but the higher essence, and not even the highest, but is the stage needs me because I am the spotlight, the radiant one. And it just feels so important. You know, we, this idea of I came to a rainy land to find my inner light. I'm finding that more and more in the spiritual cleansing and these kinds of things and release. It's so important for us to fill ourselves with self, with well, my own spark. You know, let's, let's speak very practically astrologers, very gifted. They may have a lot of knowledge, but then, they don't like to market themselves. Mm. Oh, you know, I don't want to put myself out there and, and promote myself. It seems so self-indulgent. Or even receiving money for something. Or receiving spiritual. money. But what you're doing, if you are not understanding that the need to promote yourself is because you have a service to offer. And if people don't know about your service, they're not going to get help. Hmm. You know, if we're not speaking about this book here and we can say, well, this is so, you know, um, indulgent promotion of your book. Like, why are you doing this? But in some ways I know this book can help people. Hmm. They can help, you know, learn astrology or learn about themselves. So to me, Speaking about this and, and taking the time to be on stage is because I know it's important, hmm. not just for my fuel and, and, and describe what I'm doing, but it's also that role that this book or me or you have to play in, in the creation. And that's why Virgo follows Leo. It's helping me ponder, too, that quincunx you mentioned before of Pisces, Leo. Or Leo Capricorn, or Pisces Gemini, sure. you know. I actually wanted to show you this chart that I'm sure you have seen. And so, our friend Neptune, and Neptune's discovery, September 24th, 1846, 12 a.m. and 15 seconds. <laughs> they actually had it down to 12 a.m., 14 seconds and some change. Uh, at Berlin Observatory, Germany. Cancer on the rise, last degree of cancer on the rise. But we see this um, exact partile conjunction of Saturn and Neptune and Aquarius. And what really interested me when I was looking at this today was this yod. yod. 
I mean, partile, every same degree, Saturn and Neptune together, 25 and change, Aquarius, Pluto, 25, 23, Aries, Mars, 25, 58, Jeez. Virgo. And the finger of God. And what's the polarity it. point of that Mars? You know, to, the, when you have an apex, you always have a balancing point. Mm. Which would be the midpoint in Pisces for Pluto and Saturn and Neptune in this chart too. I'll bring the whole chart back in. So I was interested in seeing, well, what, what was Jupiter doing at this time that, I don't know when it was that astrology kind of decided that Pisces was now Neptune's realm. Mm -hmm. I've wondered more, I've wondered more about Mars than I have Jupiter and Saturn with traditional and modern rulerships. Like how did Mars feel when clearly Pluto, who is so scorpionic, but when his, you know, traditionally said his nocturnal or his feminine sign even was taken from him mm -hmm. and now he can only be the spear. Well, maybe he was relieved. Yeah. <laughs> you know, think about authenticity to me. You know, it's something we spoke about, and it's something that's going to rub many astrologers the wrong way. Uh, when I associate Neptune with the 12th house in Pisces and kind of see them as a theme. Mm -hmm. Because from this whole study, I can see, if we speak of the traditional rulership, I can see how Jupiter definitely captures the Piscean essence. But I can see where it doesn't do it completely. Like there are areas of Pisces that Jupiter does not reach. And one of them, you mentioned the word belief. Mm -hmm. There's obviously a very strong connection between Sagittarius and Pisces. You know, they're both, you know, about the invisible, the greater potential, faith, spirituality. Mm. Although very different too, right? Square in fire and water. Exactly. And, you know, for me, sorry to interrupt you, but just to add this, because I think it will feed with your shares. From a Northern Hemisphere perspective, they are the first and the last moment of winter, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, the last degree of Sagittarius is winter solstice, northern hemisphere, and the last degree of Pisces is spring equinox. And there's something about that traditional association of Jupiter, who on the way in to the winter time, the traditional Saturn place, says, I got your back. You're going to make it through. This is good for you. Go into your winter. Mm -hmm. See into the darkness. Seek, you know. But also roll out the scroll and enact the right prayer and ritual. Um, and then we can get into the fundamentalism and all that stuff. But on the other side, and here comes the light. Good job. You've made it, right? So I, I, I don't like to lens astrology often through the Northern Hemispheric bias as we're too often want yeah, to do. Yeah. But regardless, that, and on the way in, seeking, so let's just bring this to more general term seeking and climbing the mountain and you know it's such a for me it's seeking is not believing that if we have a belief there's no reason to look we're only going to look for what we're told to exactly. find exactly but when we release, or what we project 
Right. Well, when we release belief and seek, and can I ever know that I'm not just projecting here anyway, which is part of the illusion, but then we find, and what we find is not belief, then we find faith. And so that... And truth. And truth. Because one of the aspects of, of Jupiter, you know, and you see its position in around the sun, right? Jupiter is before Saturn. It's the biggest planet. It, it captures these Sagittarius qualities very obviously. But it is a seeker because one of the Jupiterian impulses is there's more to life than this. Mm. You know, my life is not just this job or it's not just uh, my routine and it squares Virgo. You know, there's more I need to explore. And so I go on a journey and learn about everything. But it's a very, it's a fire sign. And then when I go on my journey, I, I come to all kinds of interpretations and belief systems that motivate me mm. you know why is sagittarius trining aries because your beliefs drive your actions mm. you know when you're if you believe in veganism then you're going to do you know you're going to lead a lifestyle that's responding to that so your belief system drives your every mode of action and with Pisces, you, and, and you will read that about Jupiter, Neptune in Sagittarius, is when you have a crisis in, in belief. Mm. And when everything you thought was true doesn't make sense anymore. You, you have to let go of what, you took for granted and it's so deep because it conditions you know your choices your actions i mean i was a vegetarian and i believed in that because i don't want to harm animals but i realized i was getting sick mm. that was a neptune transit so it told me my own experience doesn't matter what you believe mm. what matters is what is true and you, at this point, are not going to be healthy as a vegetarian. Mm -hmm. And so I had to go against my convictions, against my natural drive. You know, it's, it's like the same way Neptune, will, Neptune square to Jupiter will prove you wrong. And you are going to uh, come down your pedestal and take your sacred cows down the pedestal like nothing will make sense the things that you praised will be um demystified mm. and and you'll see that if you are open and humble you'll accept the truth and it's going to feed you so that's part of the job of neptune is to take you in this open seas where you cannot even be prepared for what you're going to learn. Like you don't have a clue yet. 
it is the unknown. Hmm. So your conditioning is completely uh, dissolving. So first is the comment, we're going to get to explore and experience that Jupiter square Neptune, right? Sagittarius, Jupiter square, Pisces, Neptune. Mm -hmm. I mean, for the first time mm -hmm. since Neptune's discovery next year in 2019. Uh, I mean, what do you mean? So Jupiter will ingress Sagittarius because Jupiter was last in Sagittarius in what? Oh, I mean, in their respective seven, signs. right? And yeah, yeah. Neptune ingressed Neptune Pisces in That's great. 2010. Wow, I didn't realize that. We also, I mean, right now we're experiencing these Jupiter trine Neptunes, Jupiter and Scorpio, and we just had that kind of powerful mm -hmm. grand water trine with Venus mm -hmm. and Cancer. And but yeah, I mean, I've really been interested in that, that we go through these periods of time where Saturn's in Capricorn and Jupiter's in Sag, you know? And then they move. And then Neptune's in Pisces, like all these rulerships. Yeah, and then there's a time later with Jupiter in Pisces and Saturn in Aquarius, um, which so that kind of shows that traditional piece. So, But you're also going to have an interesting conjunction of Jupiter-Neptune in Pisces, like right. the two rulers of Pisces. Yeah, yeah together in Pisces. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for coming soon to a theater called you folks, you just gotta live through 2020. Uh, which is, you know, there's so many places I wanna go here, but well, let me just make it about me. <laughs> so I have Venus and Virgo, as you, you know, squaring Pisces, or sorry, Sagittarius, Neptune, and Neptune's here in Pisces now opposite my Venus and I'm in the middle of this transit and when you speak about the unknowable and Truth, mm -hmm. but the things that you can't know are true or mm -hmm. I think it's very hard for us when we track transits and look to the future of transits mm -hmm. not to fall Absolutely. into a fear space like I've had Neptune described to me by a teacher who I have a lot of love for and trust for as and looking at that Neptune and Mars on the peace fountain with their weapons, but as this malefic, that Pluto brings you into the underworld, but Neptune brings you up to the heavens and then drops you down to the underworld, so you fall twice as far. And it's like, oh gosh, because my first teacher, it was like Neptune's really glorified, it's mm -hmm. this heavenly. Um, and I don't know what the truth is, but if it's a time of unknowability, like, I don't feel I teach Neptune transits so well or prepare for Neptune transits with clients so well. The fog is coming and it's here so that you can see a new light. And so enter the, the disillusion phase of the alchemical process. There's the burning and then we're meant to flood the burnt matter to find the salts that are left before we can separate, you know, and enter the dream and the delusion and kind of lose our minds for a time. But how could I possibly prepare myself for a transit like that or a Venus transit? There's wonderful love in my life right now. Yeah, well, that's the great thing about, about astrology and, and astrologers is that we keep being surprised. Mm -hmm. And we expect certain scenarios and sometimes they happen, sometimes it's completely different mm -hmm. and a person will have a Pluto transit and they're gonna have this amazing experience and they're not gonna 
feel, you know, the dread of the underworld. It's the same with Neptune. So there's an aspect, what Neptune represents is, you know, the frontier that's beyond our ego. Mm. And that's where true learning is. And that's where you just have to shut up, zip it, and listen. Whereas Jupiter is the talker, the teacher, the preacher, mm. the educator. Neptune is silent. And it is about tuning in and being in a passive state, receiving rather than giving. Mm. So uh, in, in that sense, um, what you're going to have in, quite often with Neptune-Jupiter cycles, and we spoke of Madonna and Michael Jackson, it's interesting that you know, th the three most recognizable mega entertainers, pop stars, Prince, Michael Jackson, Madonna were born in the same uh, period of summer of 58. Mm. And this means they all have Jupiter and Neptune can jump the North Node. Mm. And Michael Jackson died on a Neptune-Jupiter conjunction and Prince died on a Jupiter-Neptune opposition. Mm. And Madonna's still around. So why is that? Because the what you have with Jupiter Neptune, they're so boundless that they're manic because you touch the, the greatest spiritual realms together. And it can lead to this mega fame or it can lead to, you know, spiritual realization. But at the same time, it can lead to manic depression. Mm-hmm. Because from this ecstasy, you have a deflation that follows. When Neptune pumps Jupiter up and then drains it. Hmm. And that's when you realize that everything you thought was real is not. And you have a crisis in belief. Right. And... You know, if we go back to these personalities, we see Prince, for example, who was very successful until he became a born again. Mm. Jehovah's. Jehovah's Witness, which, you know, he saw, a, he took that Jupiter and Neptune from a place of glamour and grandiosity and funk yeah. to a place of Jehovah's Witness, mm. faith, and belief systems. And because it opposes his Venus, you know, all the sexiness was gone. <laughs> he became, you know, this very conservative. He was still sexy. <laughs> but he hid his body. You know, he, mm -hmm. he stopped being uh, you know, this sex machine. So what you have with Jupiter and Neptune is this tremendous expansion and then deflation. Mm that can create mania, depression. And it's What's the one balance? What's the remedy? It is actually one of the signature for the medical condition. People who suffer from manic depression often have very strong Neptune-Jupiter 
interplay mm -hmm. um, dynamics. Neptune in the 12, Jupiter in the 12, Jupiter-Neptune aspects. Um, and the balance is don't be attached to your truth. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you said earlier that we're surprised all the time in astrology, right? You're predicting the terrible Pluto sun transit, and then suddenly you have this glorious time in your life. But you have to allow yourself to be surprised, right? And, and I it, think that's, that's what Jupiter and Neptune is about, is, is really the practice of revelation. Instead of talking, start listening. Mm, mm -hmm. And then transmit the message. But without, you know, what is the, why is Jupiter proselytizing? Why is it so, you know, um, sometimes dogmatic and, and self-righteous? Because Jupiter as a mutable sign feels that if I have the truth and it's different from yours, one of us is wrong hmm. because there is one truth. So Jupiter is actually tapping into the Neptune, the timelessness. Yeah. But it thinks that its piece of the sky is everything. Yeah. I mean, he's huge. I mean, you can fit every planet inside Jupiter. Uh -huh. And I mean, we were looking at Jupiter last night. It's just oh, beaming. I mean, almost competing in luminosity with Venus. And, you know, so, there's this yeah, thing, so we were speaking about temperament earlier when we were walking around, and, and Jupiter is actually known as an air planet, interestingly, because there's, you know, no air element in, in Sag or Pisces, and that was certainly part of the traditional association, but air is known as hot and wet. So hot lifts us up, it adds excitement, you know, it's a, it's a moving sign, and the wet connects us. You know, to study wet and dry, you simply take some dirt and put some water on it. And you can see that individual grains of sand, you know, have an individuality. Once the water comes in, it's one mud, you know. So the wetness is about a connection. And Neptune feels certainly in that wet way, but also probably more cold. I mean, Neptune's actually cold as being out there. Mm -hmm. And to bring us down into that ability to receive, and not to go out and look for it, uh -huh. but to know that the message is here. Mm -hmm. If you can just shut up mm -hmm. and, and hear, mm -hmm. right? Which is a really fun homonym, actually, here. On this here. note. <laughs> well, let me ask you two things before we shut down. Because I wanted to share, I wanted to share a couple images. Um, we're gonna go have dinner, I hope. But I did wanna ask, the finger of God, as some call the, the yod, and how it's, it's formed of, of quincunxes and inconjunct aversions, they're called. Like, so what is that invisibility that actually is spirit? Or Well, I studied the, the yod mm -hmm. quite a bit, but I came to a different conclusion. It's not something I've done yet, so... I've, to me, the finger of God, the Yod, is a very uh, powerful configuration. But it's, 
it's a point of mastery and it is so such a delicate line to walk that you are either a master or you're in constant crisis and part of the mastery is centeredness and humility like if you take yourself for granted or if you you know think you know it all that yacht is going to humble you mm. so I like to look at aspects relative to the Aries point. Mm -hmm. So the apex would be the Aries point, and one leg will lead to Virgo, yeah. the other leg to Scorpio. And what is, what are Virgo and Scorpio doing? They're fixers. You know, they're constantly feeding on lack and improvement. Virgo does it in a mechanical way. Scorpio does it in an emotional way. You know, Scorpio is the therapist. Um, Virgo is the, um, what do you call it? When you bring your car to the shop. The mechanic. So the mechanic and the therapist are working on you. And the goal is the apex. So you want to achieve that and these are your resources. And the apex in that case, where we're looking, Aries, Virgo, Scorpio, would be Libra or Aries? No, it's the Aries Pointing point. towards Aries, yeah. So in this case, in this chart, you know, the mm -hmm. Aries point is Mars in Virgo. Mm -hmm. The Virgo leg is Neptune and Saturn, and the Scorpio leg is Pluto. <laughs> That's so interesting that they are actually, you know, in it's their own... so strong. In their own uh, position there. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting to me, here's Saturn, let me bring Uranus back in, in Aries, um, and I'm just tripping on this, and Tisha with Mercury, but Saturn at this point, I would imagine people have been practicing Uranus as the ruler of Aquarius for some time by this point. I really, I mean, I know Uranus was discovered in 1781. He actually didn't even have the formal name Uranus. They tried Neptune on Uranus, you know, for a while. Um, but I wonder when astrologers made that shift. You know, and then it, I, see, I, I love seeing... Saturn with Neptune here in, in Aquarius, and then Jupiter in, in, in Gemini. You were speaking earlier today about Gemini's, like kind of winds of pollination. There's just, I've always been, since, since I've looked at traditional rulerships, or rulerships at all, because I didn't start in a system that honors rulerships, um, looking at that debate that doesn't have to be one. And did these planets, did we discover these planets in the physical realms, I mean, with telescopes, because we were ready for them, because we were ready to evolve? We had to be surprised by Uranus. We, you know, if, if I think if there hadn't yet been the so-called Copernican revolution and heliocentric cosmology, we wouldn't have been able to see beyond Saturn. That was a shift that was necessary to prepare the space mm -hmm. for the revelation. But then we're looking in, for new revelations. We're looking for Neptune. We're looking mm -hmm. for Pluto. And to find... I mean, just shift. like we're looking for dark matter. Right. You know, there must be something out there. And, and yet you see science constantly 
reinventing itself. Oh, we thought, you know, that it was only Newtonian physics. Right. And we realized there's a whole other mechanism. Mm. We thought, you know, that women were only made to produce babies. And then we realized, oh, they can actually do math. You know, we come with all kinds of um, conditioning and perceptions and we are proven wrong. And I think it's okay because one of the things that also I speak about in this book, you will see at the end of each chapter, there's a little paragraph that says the freedom of peace. Mm. And that's where we forgive God. Not ask for forgiveness, mm -hmm. but we forgive God for what? The human experience. The human experience. Like, we didn't ask to have an ego. Or did we? But, right. I mean, for me, it's been to the me, forgiveness, not only... The forgiveness of self for choosing to have this experience as a soul. So you're taking it to, to me, a higher level. To me, beautiful. to me, having an ego is the hardest thing mm. that we could possibly do. Mm -hmm. And why do it? I mean, if you speak from a selfish point of view, why do it if you can be in the cosmic womb where... You know, eternity is, is, is mm. who you are. Why separate? Why want to incarnate? Mm. So it's, it's a service. And it's a, it's a huge uphill battle. Yeah. So, but it's also kind of impossible. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like to realize, to unrealize the oneness to disconnect from source, to come have so an individual. Just that the, the, the feeling that there is a kind of spiritual impossibility that when you talk about the construction project and how earth is not yet finished, it seems at this place and maybe many, many, many others, we're in a way constructed as projects, as places where we could come feel this illusion of separation to have an individual experience of growth. And I think that the greatest... But why grow? Right, why grow? See, but that, that's, a, you know, look at Neptune here, right? So Neptune, as you said before, there's no need to evolve. All evolution has already been done in exactly. the moment of creation. So, so why... And yet, right, and yet we're here. We're born. And so I love this yoga because you, you said this is beautiful, that the statue before, she's the ascendant between... Pisces and Aries but then you know here she's playing a kind of different role I guess I'd have to look in a different space than I thought I'm trying to bring Pluto into this but yeah there is this need to evolve there is this wish to be born there is this desire to connect to a place where survival is this theme you know that in 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 Neptune and Pisces and the twelfth, and the mystical, and the poetic, and the musical, and the channeling of that source and that essence. Where does it come from? And and it comes through individuals, you know. 
So I'm just going to speed through these because I think we're wrapping up. But I want to see this is at the time of Neptune's discovery where the, the March equinox point was to see that we're in this age of Pisces and it's very strongly configured towards the, 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 the beginning of Pisces from one direction or the end of Pisces from the second direction. Um, because I wanted to speak about we're in this transition between the age of Pisces and the age of Aquarius. And maybe the discovery of Uranus was a significant spark in the beginning of the shift and the discovering of Neptune and that were that Aquarian and, and Pisces correlation that's come into these new planets and these invisible planets. Um, but how do we choose to fully embrace this Piscean age? So your book is called Neptune, the 12th house and Pisces, not Pisces, Neptune in the 12th house. But what about that? What about the full signature of they all come together? And we have many, many beings on the planet now since 2010 with Pisces, Neptune in the 12th house. So well, it's is... a triple dose, mm -hmm. you know, of this archetype. And you, you're going to see this generation who is born with Neptune in Pisces and Pluto in Capricorn, most of them. Yeah. Are both, you know, natural born leaders because they have a collective consciousness and they will see through corruption. Mm. But in some ways, these are children that are almost born too mature, and they may uh, be so attuned and aware about what's going on in the world, whether they feel the pain or whether they see the solutions, they're going to want to engage on a collective level. That in some ways, they're going to lose their you know it's it's almost like becoming too aware too quickly mm. so there's a there's a something about you know parenting these kids where they do need to take life a little less seriously they do need to just play and not try to save everyone and not try to resolve all the problems mm -hmm and sponge everything in because they do need to find themselves before they can go and save the world. They need to have some fun. Um, otherwise, it's a, it's a very heavy burden. Most the of them will have Uranus and Aries or Uranus and Taurus. Well, which adds to, I can do this. You yeah. know, I'm going to make the change and, you know, and so the, often in that, that long-standing Neptune-Pluto sextile and this kind of generational signature that Pluto speaks of uh, generations or mini-generations, collective quest of change and evolution. And Neptune no. shows us where the healing is often, right? Or, or where the, maybe it'll say where the hearing is. So that like I'm of the Pluto and Libra crew and therefore the Neptune and Sagittarius crew. And it really feels that until I do 
Neptune and Sagittarius, I won't be able to direct the impulse of Libra Pluto in a way that is balanced. Does that make sense? Yeah. So Pluto and Capricorn, where there is significant restructuring and change, mm -hmm. asks the Pisces Neptune piece, as you said, to stop and listen and hear and relax that need to i can do it and i can change and maybe your innocent to taurus will will help bring some some earthing yeah i mean it's interesting that um great geniuses were born with uranus in taurus mm. and neptune in pisces one of them was tesla mm. yeah another one was gaudi different completely different direction you know one was an inventor the other one was an architect and those who know gaudi you know he is one of the most amazing architects he you know he made all these uh very uh, extravagant constructions in barcelona mm -hmm. and so why are they so amazing because they brought the earth and the sky together they brought spirit into flesh. And Gaudi built the most amazing cathedral. Mm. Talk about body, you know, being a temple. So he, you know, I think it's on should be on everyone's bucket list to visit Barcelona and this and the Sagrada Familia. Because it is the it you know, astrologically it's a great way to see how that's embodied. Mm. And Tesla spoke about universal energy and free energy for everyone always which is tapping into that neptune in pisces the availability of endless mm -hmm. timeless mm -hmm. energy and bring it into matter in the physical way speaking of matter you should eat some food you know we i wanted to share this image because we have the two fish very big ones, killer whales. Which um, I hope to see in two, three days. Yeah, because that was an illusions part of the story I was gonna get into last night. I said, so when do we, what, what time is the circus on Monday? And Marie said, what are you talking about? Because I got a text message from him that said, do you wanna go to circus with me and Shannon? I said, yeah, Monday. Um, and so last night he was actually went you know ready to go see the whales and what do you mean the whales we're gonna go see the orcas and I, said, I thought you said the circus which was strange anyway right um and i said you must the text auto corrected and he showed me the evidence that says orcas very clearly but i've therefore read circus and i still need to sit with what the hell that means but i love the opportunity of delusion and confusion and illusion to help open up the way to truth and i love this idea of i don't know these beautiful beings these massive beings these whales which i think need to be released from this terminology of them as as killers and so it's nice to hear their true <laughs> name as orcas Orca, more yeah. and more. all right um so Neptune, the 12th house, and Pisces, the timelessness of truth, folks. Pick it up. MauriceFernandez.com. Here is iAstrologer. Next time. 
next time we'll talk about that. So let me just say that uh, Maurice is the president of the organization for professional astrology. So look at opaastrology.org and you'll find iAstrologer, which is a retreat that's happening in October in Tucson and teaching astrologers how to promote and ready their practice and, and clean up the presentation. But it's not just for professional astrologers, I should say. And I'm teaching three days of astronomy for astrologers there. So check it out online. Also, the career astrologer is OPA's quarterly magazine, which is free. It's, it comes first to people who are members of OPA, which I should all be highly recommend. It is an organization where you get more than you pay for. Webinars a couple times a month and just amazing. Um, all right. So time for us to go feed the whale as it were we're gonna go eat turkish food because we're doing a a work with owner doser the great turkish astrologer in mexico in january and i felt like it was a way that maurice and i and owner could all sit together because we'll eat the food of his land wonderful all right maurice thank you thank you brother. yeah thank you friends for joining us i hope you've enjoyed this whenever in space and time you are tuning in and we will see you again. Cheers.